Good morning, Mission Viejo Christian Church. It is great to see you. Great to have you with us online, if that's who you're connecting as well. It is, uh, it is the pleasure of our lives to get together once a week here to worship God, to be together. I don't ever want us to take it for granted that our worship team provides a feast of an opportunity to just be in God's presence and worship him. I'm so grateful for them. Typically, Pastor Mike brings us a feast out of God's word as well, and I'm always grateful for that. I'm equally grateful for the times when you reach out and ask me if I could cover Sunday, so thanks for that. I enjoy that as well. I hope that you have come here this morning with a sense of uh, enthusiastic anticipation. I, I hope you haven't come just to say, well, there's a, there's a certain a particular row and a particular part of the worship center that's used to me being there, so I better go be there so the seat doesn't feel lonely. I hope you didn't just come in because somehow there's a, a checklist of things that I'm supposed to do on the week and being here in the morning is just one of them. I hope that all of us in this place have come and said, God wants to do something unique in this place, in this morning, with this group of people. That he's got a word that he wants to share with us that ignites something in us that doesn't just make our Sunday better or our weekend better, but it changes us and makes our life better. And that's what I'm hoping for. I hope you're hoping for that too. Um, So let's just pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, all of the things that we would love to see happen in the next 25 or 30 minutes are beyond our ability to manufacture or do in our own power. They depend entirely upon your presence and the power of your Holy Spirit in this place. And so, God, we acknowledge your presence in this room, and we invite the work of your Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our souls. God, open our ears and open our hearts to what it is you're saying and the the ways that you're changing us to your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. We're closing out this morning our series on bringing them back alive. And this whole series is predicated upon this one assumption. That somewhere outside the four walls of this church, out there in the world that you and I occupy, you know, most of the week long, there are people who simply have not known the joy of walking with Jesus. People who are living their life, going through their day, working, doing their family, doing their fun, having the stuff. And, but the, what's missing from their life is that they do not know Jesus Christ. And it may not be a pressing reality upon them, but we know it to be true from what the scripture says, that however great their life may look, and however much fun that they're having, which is real, and however stable it may look, that the missing element of Jesus Christ as Lord as their life is something that leaves them in a place of spiritual death. That's not pointing fingers at them and condemning them and being upset with them. That's just acknowledging the reality. That is the human condition apart from Jesus Christ. And so they're there, and we desperately want for those friends and loved ones and even the strangers that are out there, what we want for them is hopefully something that we've already just experienced experienced ourself, which is Jesus coming into our life, setting us free from our bondage to sin and our inability to overcome sin and setting us free to take on the purpose that God designed us for. We want that for them. And so we want to, we just want to live our entire lives as an invitation. Come be a part of what God, God is doing. Come step into his plan for your life. Come step into a greater vision for how he will use you in the future. We want that for them. We want those people who though, in this moment they may be spiritually dead we want to reach out to them and connect with them and invite them and bring them 
back to life in God's kingdom because of what only he can do. That's the heart of our series. We've talked about that quite a bit. And a lot of what we've talked about is bringing people and inviting people to that point of decision where they say, yes, I'm in, I'm all in, I want to follow Jesus. We're going to talk this morning a little bit about what comes next after that. The whole series is based on these words, final uh, words of Jesus to his disciples out of Matthew chapter 28. This is what he said. We call it the Great Commission. It's the marching orders he gave his disciples before he left. He said this, therefore, to them, as you're going, make disciples of all nations. Wherever you're going, whether you're going to work, whether you're going on vacation, whether you're going to the grocery store, wherever you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Go, he says, and make what? Disciples. Disciples. Which raises the obvious question. When I say the word disciple, what comes to mind for you? What, what picture does that evoke? If you were asked to provide a description or a uh, dictionary definition of a disciple, what would you come up with? That's awesome. I have to tell you this, though, and don't take this the wrong way, but I don't give a flying flip what you think. Also, you shouldn't be particularly interested in what I think. The question we should ask is, What did Jesus mean when he used that word? He used the word disciple. He understood it to mean something. His listeners understood it to mean something. Matthew, as he was recording the words of Jesus and as he was compiling them and putting his account of the life of Jesus together, came to this moment and he had to choose a word to put in that place. And that word meant something to him and it meant something to his audience as well. What I think it means 2,000 years later or what you think it means are not really relevant because what really matters is what it meant when he said it to the people to whom he said it. That's what we want to get to the heart of because this is what we believe about the scriptures. That, we, that when we come to God's word, it's not just kind of a general moral guideline to how things ought to be most of the time. We believe in the words of the Apostle Paul that all scripture is inspired, that it's God-breathed that it's profitable for doctrine and teaching and rebuke and correction and all manner of equipping to good works. We believe that every word of the Bible as it was written down, yes, it was selected by a human author, but that God superintended the process and saw to it that the exact word that was needed to convey the exact thing that was really true that made his revelation of himself most accurate was used in that place. And so we need to look at that word disciple And say, what did it mean? What was Jesus getting at? And at the time in history and in the culture in which Jesus was speaking, fortunately for us, the word disciple has a very clear definition. We don't have to to put too much direct thought into it because the culture of the day understood a disciple to be this. Someone who follows somebody else in order to learn, in order to obey, And in order to imitate. A disciple is someone who's following somebody else specifically for the purpose of learning from them. Doing what they say. 
and becoming more and more like them through the process of imitation. That is exactly what it means. The decision to follow Jesus is an incredibly important decision. Jesus, he says, make disciples and then teach them to obey. He says, make people who are committed on an ongoing basis to learn, who are living their life on an ongoing basis in order to obey, who are living their life moving forward in a way that imitates who I am. 33 years and change ago, I took Rochelle, my wife. She wasn't my wife then. We went out to eat, had a nice dinner. We went out to one of my favorite places in the, on the planet, which is the, the beach at the Wedge in Newport. Got up on the lifeguard tower there. And I asked her in, in that moment to marry me. And she agreed. And we made a decision that we were going to get married. I can't speak for her, but for me, that was the best decision. <laughs> Roughly six months and change later, we formalized that decision in front of God, in front of our friends and family, in a wedding ceremony, and we were married on March 2nd, 1991. I say that date as often as I can so as not to forget it. That's also an important part of the process. But how lame would it be if someone came up to me today and said, Scott, talk to me, talk to me about marriage. Talk to me about your marriage. And I said, well, you know, 33 years ago, we made a couple decisions. It's all good. Like, what if that was the sum total of an ongoing relationship with my spouse was that, yeah, there was a decision somewhere back there in the foggy recesses of the past but nothing's taken place since then, right? A marriage is designed for two lives to come together to form a new life that moves forward in unity and growth and support and love and affection and care and knowing each other and self-disclosure and building something together and, and growing in Christ together and, and making not just one decision when it started, but lots of decisions along the way, reflecting the same reality. That's what creates a successful relationship going forward. And I want to suggest that discipleship is in some ways the same thing. Yes, it starts with the decision, I'm going to follow Jesus, of course. And is that a monumental decision? It absolutely is, and it's one we celebrate all the time, both when it happens and when it goes public and formal and a proclamation is made in baptism. We love that. But the whole point of that is not just to end there and stop. It's to say now, day in and day out, I'm going to relive that decision to follow Jesus every day. I'm going to make decisions every day which are rooted in that decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to live my financial life, my relational life, my professional life. All aspects of my life are going to be rooted in that fundamental decision that I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm going to try and create momentum and build on that every day moving forward. So that I'm not just a Christian, I'm not just a disciple because I made a decision... I'm a disciple because that decision that's been made is being lived out day in and day out. And you know what? Not perfectly. We fail along the way. People who, I'm one of them, we make decisions to follow Jesus and say, yes, I'm all in, Jesus, I'm yours. And now I'm going to try and live that out. And then, 
Ooh, I did not live that out so well today. Oh, I did not live that out so well in that particular conflict with a neighbor. Oh, I certainly didn't live it out that well with that guy on the freeway who was just out of control, right? It's not that, it's not that my relationship with God is utterly dependent on how perfectly I walk that out. It simply means that the decision that was made at the beginning of the process is the beginning point of a trajectory of a life spent following Jesus so that I can learn, so that I can obey, and so that I can imitate and become more like him. A few weeks ago, I was sitting around praying. I said, Lord, I got 300 bucks just lying around. What should I do with it? And God was so good to answer the prayer. My auto registration renewal came in the mail. (laughs) God's faithful that way. So I got to do that, right? But as part of the process, it's like now connected to registering your car, they ask you again about your voter registration. And I personally am in this spot where like, hey, maybe, maybe the people I've associated with myself in my voter registration in times past, they're not pleasing me so much right now. Maybe I don't like their actions. Maybe I don't like the candidates they're putting forward. Maybe I don't like a lot of things. And so I started thinking like, do I still want to be with them? And, or, or maybe I want to be with the other guys, or maybe I want to be independent in the middle. I don't know, but like, I am not locked down to life with this particular association. I made a decision back there somewhere that, yeah, I'll, I'll run with them as long as it suits my purposes, but that's a decision that I can do immediately. I check one box, and decisions that were made maybe years ago go away, and a whole new reality starts up, right? As I begin life in a new party or without a party or whatever. Tragically, I run into people too often who treat their relationship with God and their following Jesus less like the marriage and more like the voter registration. Yeah, I kind of agreed to vote with Jesus with my life, but I'm really not fond of the platform that he's putting forward right now. Not kind of satisfied with the way he's managing not just the economy, but my economy. I, I'm not entirely content with what he's allowing into my life uh, for whatever reasons that I don't understand. And you know what? Maybe the time has come to uncheck that box and to check a different box or to leave all boxes blank. And I just want to acknowledge that when Christ calls us from a life out there where we're spiritually dead, and he calls us and says, come back alive. He's inviting us not into just a a, a decision that holds as long as it holds until we're dissatisfied with it. He's not inviting us into just a decision that can be undone. He's inviting us into a life of following him that defines us and gets down right into the core of who we are that we couldn't let go of even if we wanted to. Around um, 8.30 last night, My favorite college football team lost a brutal game where on the last play of the game, we were defeated by a field goal. A crushing blow. You will never know how perilously close you came to hearing a sermon this morning about hell and punishment and eternity based on that one field goal. But I grew up with this team. They're my team. And I love being part of that team when they're good and winning national championships. 
And I love being part of that team when they're losing to teams they shouldn't lose to because they're my team. I can't, I can't get that affiliation with that team out of my mind because we couldn't tackle anybody. I'm, I'm with them. Good, bad, okay, that for, for good or ill, that just got pushed down past the place of optionality and became a part of who I am. And that's just football. A life spent following Jesus, being a disciple, happens, yes, when we make a decision, but when that decision gets pushed down into those places in our soul that are beyond optionality, they just define who we are. They're a part of us we couldn't get rid of. Who am I? I am a disciple, first and foremost. So what does that look like in real life? We don't really need to look a whole lot further, do we? Maybe than just even the life of Jesus' own disciples. And he said to them, look, stop what you're doing. Leave the life you've known and join me on a whole new journey of of literally following with me wherever I go. Make, Make your discipleship, make your following of me the defining feature of your life. Learn what I'm teaching you. Obey what I'm instructing you. Become like me. And that's what they did. And so... This morning, for the time that we have, I do want to look at these components of of learning and obeying and of imitating. They're so integral to being a disciple. In learning, we engage our minds, our head, right? There are things that Jesus says are true. Jesus referred often to the Old Testament. He held for it to be true. He taught us some additional things in the New Testament that are right in line and, and in parallel with that. So, Part of what we do as a disciple is we engage our mind and we learn things. Part of what we do is we obey. We hear the instructions of the Lord. We hear his call to do this or to treat them this way or to lay aside these other burdens of sin and we choose to obey. That is not just with our heads and what we know, but with our hands and what we do, we're following Jesus. And we want to become like Jesus. So that not just in our heads where we're learning or in our hands where we're doing, but in our heart where we're being, we are becoming more like him. We can't hope to go make disciples like that until first we're being disciples like that. So let's look at learning real quick. Matthew uh, records Jesus saying this. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus speaks to some of the learning. He says this. I don't think that's the right verse that I have in mind and I think that's entirely on me. So ignore that man behind the curtain. Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says in this life I'm calling to you as the life of disciple, take take the burden that's appropriate on you, and that burden is to learn from me. We all come to this endeavor of following Jesus with some ideas and thoughts about how things are. But we need to come with, with minds that are saying, Lord, I understand some of how it are, but I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be challenged by the things that you're teaching me. I want to understand at a deeper level. Uh, writing to Timothy, Paul wrote this, and he encouraged the disciples this way. He said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. 
a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And the other versions say, do, uh, do your best to present yourself as, uh, as a, uh, the be prepared part of that is discipline yourself to learn, study to be approved. That is, we take the words of scripture and we don't take them lightly, but we dig in. We dig in. Too often I find myself, and maybe you're in this camp too, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, and I I do my best to set aside kind of the time of day when I do that, but sometimes the schedule's very full and there's things going on, I got a lot of things going on, and I'll find the chair with the coffee and the Bible and the words are there, but I would know in no way describe what I'm doing as digging in. I've, I've read real estate brochures with three times the interest and attention. You know what I'm saying? Where sometimes it just, I, I'm not digging in. I'm just skimming over real quick. That's, that's not what this passage is talking about. It's talking about we've been given the gift of God's word. And we're to spend mental energy growing and learning and understanding so that we handle it correctly. That we represent it well when we talk with others about that as well. Uh, a little later on, Timothy wrote this as well, speaking to uh, the church. But as, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. Not only, not only learn it, but continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from who you've learned it. So as we study to show ourselves approved, as we prepare ourselves um, by digging deep into scripture, sometimes on Sunday mornings, sometimes in life groups, very often just on our own individual personal time with the Lord and, and in scripture, that what we're doing that is we're, we're coming to grips with what is true and realizing that we know the people from whom we learned. We read the words of Jesus and we know those are words worth learning. We hear the words of Paul in the New Testament or any of the Old Testament heroes that wrote in the Old Testament say those are trustworthy sources we can grow in our knowledge and our understanding that way. Now, so that locks that in, but, but I think we've probably all met that follower of Jesus who just knows the Bible so well. You ask them a verse about mercy and kindness and they've got a chapter and they've got a verse and they're probably willing to parse the Greek for you as well along the way. They know what the Bible says. They could write a systematic theology uh, textbook if they needed to. They just, they know They read an Old Testament prophecy and they know the geography and this city and they were at war with that city. And it all, like, they just got such a great. We all know a few people like that who know so much. And what a gift that is. But if you've had the misfortune to meet the person who knows all of that, but none of it translates into the way they live their life, oh, that's painful. Because. Mere learning left to itself almost always ends in arrogant pride. I'm not saying that everybody who knows a thing or two about the Bible is inherently prideful. But I'm saying that's a tendency for those who are geared up in the learning is for that to lean to pride. So it's not just about learning. That's why discipleship is not just about the head. It moves down to the obedience as well. What are we doing with what we're learning? And when Jesus said... That what we're supposed to do with the disciples that we're making, that we're making disciples around the world, is that we're teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. 
Yes, make disciples. Make, make people who are following me and wanting to learn, but not just learning, but doing. Disciples who hear the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and, and not just being content to be able to go, oh, I happen to know that there are nine fruit of the Spirit and I can lift them in order and I know that that's in Galatians 5 and aren't those wonderful tidbits of knowledge? Well, maybe, but, but if that doesn't transit, translate into a life that is loving or joyful or full of peace or all the way down the line, Jesus would say, I think we're missing the point. Jesus says, make disciples, baptize them. That speaks to a beginning. And then he says, teach them to obey what I've commanded. That speaks to the life of discipleship moving forward. Late in his life, the apostle John wrote this, speaking, uh, uh, he says to the church, this is love. You want to know what love is? Love is this. This is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. You want to let... Jesus, know that you love him? Obey him. Jesus said to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he said, you're my friends. If what? If you do what I command you. Jesus' love language is this language of obedience, of not just knowing what he said, but putting it into practice. Obedience is a tough one, is a tough one because of this fact. A heart of obedience is, is a heart that's made a commitment of an unqualified yes to a very unpredictable God. I don't know what God is going to ask of me. How can I say yes in advance if I don't know what he's asking? And the answer is because I'm following him as a disciple. To follow Jesus as his disciple is to say, whatever you ask, the answer is yes. Sometimes that'll be hard. Sometimes he'll ask of us things that really challenge us. And other times it'll be beautifully and wonderfully easy. But the life of the disciple is not, well, Jesus, tell me what you think and I'll make my decision on that. The life of the disciple is the one that says, Jesus, I don't even know what you're going to ask, but just know in advance the answer is yes. Now, you know what, sometimes it, (laughs) this is my experience, sometimes it takes me a while to work up to the yes. God says, I'm really wanting you to work on this. I want you to forgive that person. Oh, I know I said I was going to say yes, but yes, ultimately I know I'm going to say yes, but I got to work myself up to it. I got to talk to friends in my life who will say, yeah, you have to. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You got this an unqualified yes to an unpredictable God. And after we've learned, and along with the doing of obedience, there's the imitation, there's the becoming like him. Paul wrote to the Ephesians this. He said, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant fragrant offering and sacrifices to God. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved you. Follow God's example is rendered elsewhere like be imitators. Be like him. Become like him. So how does that happen? How do I, what does it practically look, at, look like to live out that life of discipleship? 
Well, it looks like a lot of things, right? I mean, part of what it looks like is us being here gathering weekly on a Sunday morning. Part of the way our kids are discipled are back here in kids' ministry. Every week, they're learning. They're being challenged to obey, right? They're learning how to imitate God and become like him in a great environment. That's happened with our student ministries uh, as well on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights and all around. Great thing that that's happening as well. But here are... Here, I I just want to say three very specific ways that this life of discipleship gets cultivated around here. And the first one is this. It happens life on life. Life on life. In our life groups, discipleship happens. Along the way, we, we learn, we're challenged to obey, and along the way, hopefully, we're uh, becoming more like Christ. And I'll just tell you about my life group, which for my money is the best life group, not just in this church, but in the entire body of Christ anywhere. But that's just one guy's opinion. But in the past year, we've celebrated marriages within our group. We've also celebrated marriages of, of kids of people who are in the group. We've celebrated graduations from college. We've supported through debilitating injuries and illnesses. We've been uh, plotting together and praying to God about how we care for our aging parents. We've managed job stress and potential career changes. We did a study on marriage. We watched the TV series The Chosen together. On a weekly basis, we have studied the passages of Scripture that come up on a Sunday morning. We've eaten together. We've laughed together. We've eaten together. We've cried together. We've prayed together. We've eaten together, and we've rejoiced together. We've met for coffee, we've met for breakfast, we've met for lunch, we've eaten dinner, we've gorged ourselves on dessert, we've fasted together. We challenge each other, we question each other, we encourage one another, we've supported one another, we've helped one another, and we've prayed for one another, and our lives, because of all of that, are inextricably linked together. And at the point that I become weak, there's a group of people very close to me that are strong on my behalf. And when they're fighting battles and and fighting through their own weakness, I get to be part of who God uses to help be part of the strengthening that happens. It's lives taking place right alongside and with each other. That is how discipleship happens. So if you're in a life group, you already know this to be true. If you're not in a life group, but that sounds good for you and you'd like to see that take place, we'd love to get you in a life group. It's really as simple. We always say that the very first life group, the one we recommend, it's called Next Steps. It lasts seven weeks and uh, it kind of sets you up for success in understanding how the life group works and how they function and what they feel like. I'd love to talk with you about that after the service. But discipleship doesn't just happen uh, life on life. Oh, and by the way, I should probably mention the reason we didn't just make that up. It's not like, oh, what, what brilliant people. They have, they have life groups. Now, the life of the early church is described by, the, by Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. And he describes what happens in the very first day that the church was born. They met together in one another's homes. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And it said that the people in the community all around looked, looked at that and said, that's beautiful, that's awesome. And part of it, as a result of all that, people were being added to the kingdom of God daily. We're just trying to be disciples by living that out. But it doesn't just happen life on life. It also happens one on one. Here, Paul is a great example. When Paul was, uh, when Paul was 
first converted to Christianity, a guy named Barnabas took him under his wing and took care of him and mentored him, helped him grow into his understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus, introduced him to the leaders in the Jerusalem church. So Paul had this Barnabas who was a mentor to him. And then he had Silas who was a partner with him going on different outreach and ministry and missionary journeys. And then he had a young man named Timothy that he then mentored. He had someone ahead of him. He had someone alongside him. And he had someone that he was bringing along as well. At every stage of the game, a one-on-one relationship where one person is investing in the spiritual life and the spiritual growth and the spiritual well-being of another. We have uh, something we do here at the church called D12. It essentially sets up people who say, I need to understand how it is that I would grow as a Christian in the faith. I'm kind of new to this game. I don't know what to do. What are my next steps? We've got a group of those people. We got some other people who are wonderful and they say, I don't know it all. I'm not an expert. And frankly, Pastor Scott, most of them said, I don't think I can do it when I came to ask them about them. But these are a group of people who have made themselves available for a couple meetings a month. They go, hey, you've given me a framework. I I will meet one-on-one with someone who wants to go and kind of learn the ropes that way. And over the course of a year, meet and and kind of lock into 12 specific discipleship milestones that form the foundation of how it is that we grow in life in Christ. That's happening here every month in this church. There's a group of folks um, who have finished eight of the 12 months of that particular journey. And you know what they're going to do when they finish their 12 months of being in D12 of basic discipleship formation? Those people who have just been discipled are going to turn to the people in their life and say, I've just learned how to grow. I'd, I'd like to share that with you. Would you come with me? And these people who are being discipled are going to be being discipling others. It's disciples making disciples. I love that. It makes me so proud of our church. It does. And it's happening one-on-one. Again, if that's of interest to you, either on the being discipled or discipling side, you can check the website and there's a place to indicate that. I'd love to get together and talk with you about that. Discipleship happens life on life. And it happens one-on-one, but it also happens side by side when we serve together on our various serving teams. Um, Why would you say serving is a part of discipleship? Like, I understand serving because the church has programs and they need people, and the only way to get things done is to get people to do them, and so we would promote serving. It's true. From a practical standpoint, serving's pretty cool. But that's not what's at the heart of serving, at least from a discipleship standpoint. Jesus said to his disciples, I came specifically not to be served, but to serve. And if being a disciple is both learning and obeying and imitating we're going to take on a mindset and a heart set that says, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. Not just because there are tasks that need to get done, but because I want to be like Jesus and he came to serve. I'm just going to put that into practice. But is serving really discipleship? Is it really, it doesn't feel spiritual. Truth be told, I can't think of too many people who said, you know, I came to your church and, and the person in the parking lot that kind of ushered me to the next available spot, 
They were so nice and so kind and so happy. I just decided to give my life to Jesus right on the spot. That doesn't happen a lot. Very few people drop off their child in the nursery and say, you know, that was so organized and it was so clean and they were so friendly and my baby seemed so well cared for that I just decided right that day, I've hated Jesus my whole life, but I'm giving my life to Jesus right now because of the nursery. That's not the way service works. The way service works is whether it's out there in the parking lot or whether it's a greeter at the door or whether it's people who are um, filling the seat pockets with the connection cards and the communion elements. Wherever it is that people are serving, something very important is happening. People are investing their efforts to create an environment where people can come in without any roadblocks, without any speed bumps, without any interruptions or question makers, and simply encounter God. If you've ever had an infant of your own, you know it is impossible to focus on what God is doing here if I'm not pretty confident about what's happening with the infant out there, right? And so those who serve and love those babies aren't just there because they love babies and they love doing diapers, I promise you. But they have an abiding commitment that there's a whole group of people, some of who are in the church already and some of whom are, are not here yet but are coming, that these are people that I, I, can, I can help them encounter God in an uninterrupted way simply by being there and being available. That's why service is discipleship. It's investing in the spiritual growth of others. We've, I think Pastor Mike mentioned we need 75 more volunteers. Is there anything inherently spiritual about scooping up popcorn and handing it to somebody or about playing a little carnival game in the booth and handing little toys and, and gifts and surprises to kids? There's nothing inherently spiritual other than the fact that every act that will take place amongst the 250 volunteers is an act is an act that will create an environment which invites our community in to come and just experience some of God's love and his grace. I'm not super excited about popcorn, I'll tell you the truth, but I'm excited about people coming in and getting to know Jesus. And if serving up a little popcorn is is a thing, I'm in. So I'm not sure even what volunteer opportunities are left of the ones that are out there, but if, if you have a sense that, gosh, as a part of just... Your, your discipleship process and becoming like Jesus and he came to serve and so I'm going to serve. If, if you want to just step into that, maybe even for the first time, this is a great opportunity. There are folks out at, at the table out there that can let you know kind of what spots need to be filled and what time frames and everything else like that. But I'm, I know for this, this for sure, there is plenty of room. So let me just close with a few action points. When all is said and done, what are we going to do about all of this? First, I'm just going to challenge you. Identify your, your path for learning. What, what's the next thing you feel like God wants you to learn? Maybe it's memorizing some scripture. Maybe it's reading through a whole book of the Bible. Maybe you've never done that, and that's the next thing of learning. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, attending a Bible study uh, and learning that way. But understand that part of your life of following Jesus is going to be a path of learning. Figure out where that is and, then, and embark. Uh, second, Identify your next step of obedience. I'm a huge believer in this. At every moment in your life, there's a point of of obedience that God is asking you to take. Do you know what it is? If we don't even know, that just means we gotta go back to some time with him and figure out what that is. So so identify your next step of obedience and then, then begin the process of figuring out why haven't I taken that step of obedience yet? And it's not because if I don't obey, I'm gonna get in trouble. 
But because I'm a disciple of Jesus, and that's what a disciple does, is a disciple obeys. And third, identify the opportunities for greater Christ-likeness. You know how we all know those things about ourselves that we really, really, really don't like? Like, for instance, I feel very comfortable here and speaking with you and talking with you, but I promise you this week when I go back and I I look at the video and I listen to just kind of self-evaluate stuff, I hate the sound of my voice. It just needs to change, and God bless you all for putting up with me and stuff, but I hate it. Changing my voice, probably not a huge change as far as a a greater Christ-likeness. But there are parts of my character that I dislike just as much. There are parts of my character that I know great on the purity of God's goodness way more than my voice ever, ever could. And as I identify those, I've got to give them over to the Lord and say, Lord, please help me change. But I can't do it myself. God, I need your spirit to change me. I need to become more like Christ, and I need your help. And by God's grace, he has given the spirit of God within us to do exactly that. Now, all three of these, you'll notice, those first three, all of those are things that we do. They're about us as disciples. That's about how we be disciples. Because we can't go make disciples if we're not first being disciples, right? So, one, two, three, be a disciple. And then identify someone you can invite to join you in your journey. A disciple maker is not necessarily the one who goes out and hits someone with the gospel and gets them to believe something that they didn't believe previously. Sometimes a disciple maker is someone who says, you know what, I'm growing in this thing called discipleship. I'm learning about Jesus. I'm, I'm trying to obey him. And, and in some small way, I, I'm starting to become more like him. Come join me in that process. That's a disciple maker. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. John said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew heard that and said, That's the guy. That's the Messiah. And so he went over and he followed him. And he spent that day, the book of John says, hanging out with Jesus. That very evening, he went home and told his brother, Simon Peter, Peter, I think I've found the Messiah. I'm going back to follow him. Come with me. How much training did he have? How much knowledge did he have? Uh, what kind of framework did he have? What curriculum did he have? How prepared was he? He had none of those things. And he made, made arguably one of the most important, significant disciples of all time, right? Simply because he said, I'm going on this journey of following this guy. Would you come with me? I love that as a model for making disciples. There are people in your life, they may not, ready to have, may not be ready to have a theological debate, You and I may not be ready to have a theological debate with them. But what we can say is I'm having this experience as a disciple of seeing Jesus make a difference in my life. Like, come along for the ride for a little bit. See what it's all about. And then let let God take care of it from there. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, it still is amazing to me that what you choose to do is to use us to make your invitation to the world. You choose to um, make your appeal 
to a world that remains spiritually dead through us, broken as we are, but people that you have made alive in the spirit. So God, would you lead us and would you guide us? Would you help us to embrace a life of learning and obeying and imitating you? And in just a moment, when I'm done, we're gonna have a a time of communion. The elements for that are on the seat back, kind of right in front of you. The bread represents Christ's body. The juice represents Christ's blood. And it's just this moment of bringing ourselves back to the central truth of the gospel. That we were not spiritually alive, but Christ shed his blood and allowed his body to be broken so that we could know spiritual abundant, eternal life. And when we receive these elements, we just, we affirm again this decision that we've made and said, and say it's not just a decision back there, it's a daily decision that I continue to make in this life of discipleship. And if you feel like you've never made that starting decision that says, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I may not understand it all, I may not know all that it entails, but it's a journey I want to begin that I never had before, I'm going to pray a prayer from up here. And if it represents the prayer in your heart, just just say a yes and amen in your heart and agree with this. Heavenly Father, I don't fully understand. I um, I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. That I am a sinner and that I'm powerless to do anything about that in my own life. And I believe that Jesus Christ, God's son, left heaven to become human flesh here on earth that he lived his life that he died and in doing so he paid the penalty for my sins and that following that God you raised him up on the third day to eternal life as a demonstration of your approval and acceptance of his sacrifice on my behalf and also as a as a demonstration of what becomes our hope that one day you will raise us up to eternal life as well Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. I surrender to you. I receive the gift of eternal life from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.